You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. promise that is in Christ? Have you claimed the promise that is in Christ? The position of being in Christ? Have you claimed that promise? In Christ, I'm a new creation. In Christ, I'm set free from the bondage of sin and the penalty of death. In Christ, I have eternal life. In Christ, there is no condemnation. In Christ, there is no separation. In Christ, I am wise. In Christ, I have hope. When you come to Christ, you become a new creation. The old is gone and dead. However, as Pastor Dave shares in today's lesson, we often don't offer ourselves forgiveness and continue to punish ourselves for our forgiven sins. Boldly proclaim your renewal in Christ. Embrace a life of no condemnation and live in hope. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 16 as he continues his message, Be of Good Cheer. I have no doubt that Jesus did not doubt the belief of the disciples, but he wanted their faith not to be shaken. He warned them that your faith is going to be shaken. Stand strong. You need to settle it in your hearts so that you can stand strong. Your faith is going to be severely tested. And he's saying, and you're going to leave me alone. You're going to bolt. You're going to leave me alone. Maybe that describes you when you're going through a hard time. Maybe when your faith is severely tested, you don't want to read the Word of God. You don't want to fellowship. You don't want to come to church. You don't want to witness. Maybe you just want to leave Jesus alone. Maybe you just want to leave him to himself because your faith is broken. Your faith is shaken. And maybe you feel guilty because your faith is shaken. Maybe you feel guilty because you're not trusting in him the way you think you should or the way you think it was supposed to be. A Christian doesn't act like this. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Yes, sometimes when our faith is tested, we fail. Sometimes when our faith is tested, we fail. You know what? In the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 9, Beginning at verse 14, there's this story of a boy who had a demonic spirit within him. The disciples had just gotten back, the big three, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, had just gotten back from the mountain, from the transfiguration. They had just gotten back. And the crowd was all there. And they were all discussing what was going on with this young boy. And Some of them says, teacher, I brought my son who has a mute spirit and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. They could not. 
Jesus' words were, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and fell on the ground and swallowed and foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown himself in the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can't, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. I love this. I love this. This father, imagine this father, this boy, Seeing his son in this condition, can't help him. Every time he turns around, the boy is in a fit on the ground, foaming at the mouth, throwing himself in fire, throwing himself in water. These horrible things. Can you imagine how it ripped the father's heart apart? How the father must be lamenting over his poor boy and seeing him in this, in this trouble. In desperation, he f- tries to find Jesus, and he can't find Jesus. He brings him to the disciples, and the disciples can't help the boy. The disciples can't help the boy. And then he sees Jesus, and as he's taking the boy to Jesus, the evil spirit comes upon him, and the kid's all over the place, writhing and foaming at the mouth. Can you imagine what the father's heart is doing? Oh, my gosh. He pleads with the Father, oh Lord, if you can do anything, please, please help us. Have compassion on us. And Jesus says these beautiful words. It's a glorious promise, a glorious, glorious promise from Jesus. If you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Father looked up at Jesus. He looked up at Jesus. I would imagine the look on his eye was in bewildered. And he says to Jesus, Oh Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's my prayer that God would help us in the areas of my life where I still have unbelief. Poor father was challenged by Jesus' exhortation of faith. All things are possible to him who believes. But the father did believe in Jesus. Why else would he take the boy to him? Why else would he take the boy to Jesus if he didn't believe in Jesus? I mean, after all. But he also recognized, one thing I love about this guy, he recognized his own doubts. He recognized that he had doubts in his life. So he tearfully pleads with Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Was this man in rebellion against God? Absolutely not. He was not in rebellion against God or rejecting God's promises. He didn't deny God's promises. He desired it. But it just seemed too good to be true. My son's been that way for years and years and years. I can't believe that he could be healed. I can't believe that this could happen. Maybe you're going through something that you've been going through for year after year after year. And you can't believe that you could possibly be healed. Oh, Lord, help your unbelief. Oh, Lord, help our unbelief in these situations. Help our unbelief. Help our unbelief. Jesus tells the disciples, hey, you guys are going to bolt, man. You guys are going to run. You're going to run away from me. You'll be scattered, and you're going to leave me all alone. But yet he comes back and says, and yet I'm not going to be alone. In other words, 
My security won't be threatened in that hour when you run away. My security doesn't depend upon you. My security depends upon the Father who is with me. Look at 32b. And yet, I am not alone because the Father is with me. You know, all through this discourse, Jesus had been trying to encourage disciples. Jesus is the master encourager. He's trying to lift the disciples up. He's trying to bring them up because he knows their hearts are broken. But think about this. Think about this. In mere minutes, maybe not even an hour, Jesus is going to be arrested. He knew what was coming. Can you imagine knowing that the Father was going to be with him? What an encouragement it was for Jesus. What an encouragement this was for Jesus, knowing that the Father was going to be with him. Can you imagine? It must have been great encouragement. He was about to be beaten. He's about to be scourged and crucified. He's about to face the most horrible death at that time that anyone could possibly face. But he knew he wouldn't have to face it alone. Although his men would scatter, save one, he knew the Father would not leave him. How good is your relationship with Christ? You bank on Hebrews 13.5, when Jesus says, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because Jesus is ever with us, we can be content in all situations. We can be content in all situations because we know that he is with us, therefore he has control of all situations, doesn't he? If he's with me, he has control, and he continues to work all things out according to his purpose. They may not work out according to my purpose, but I can be knowing that he will be with me. Like the disciples, you have friends, you have family members, you have people whom you love. Guess what? They'll leave you. They'll forsake you. But Jesus will never leave you and never forsake you. He will be with you until the end. He who began a work will complete it. We need to claim this promise and believe it to be true, that Jesus will never leave my side. No matter what I'm going through, he is right there with me all the way. I never hear from Jesus, Dave. <laughs> You're on your own on this one, bud. I never hear that. It's always, David, I'm right here with you. I'm right here with you. It's it's the footsteps picture. It's the footstep picture in a nutshell. You look back and there's only one set of prints. Why? Because he's carrying me. Because he's with me. He'll never leave nor forsake me. You know, there's so many great promises in this word of God that we need to claim and keep in our heart and know that. And maybe if we understood that and knew that in our heart and believed it, it would get us through some of these times. No matter what is on my plate today, no matter what is on my plate tomorrow, no matter what is on my plate whenever, I know I can get through it, not on my own strength, but because Jesus is with me and he's carrying me and he will see it through. However, there will be a moment, there will be a moment in Jesus' life when he will be alone. At one point, he will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
the moment he's hanging on a cross, and the moment he becomes sin for us, the moment that the entire weight and sin of the world come upon him, he feels separated from the Father. And in that instant, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was alone on the cross that day so that we wouldn't have to ever be alone. Jesus was forsaken that day on the cross so that you and I would never have to be forsaken. The upper room discourse comes to a close in verse 33. It comes to a close. These things I have told, spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Another great promise. Another promise that is worth memorizing and saying to yourselves, there's so many great promises just alone in that verse. The entire discourse from chapter 13 all the way through to where we are now in chapter 16 was designed so that the disciples would have peace. Jesus knew what awaited the disciples. He knew how they would feel when they scattered and left him alone. They're going to feel guilty. They're going to feel pain. They're going to feel sorrow because I've left my Jesus. I failed my Jesus. And he knew that the world would come after them next. Jesus knew that there was nothing but tribulation in the world. So Jesus gives them the answer right off the bat. Now, when we quote this phrase, many of you say, in the world we have tribulation, and Jesus, we have peace. Many of us just say, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, and I have overcome the world. Many of us just say that. We leave out the first caveat. We leave out the most important part. Jesus says it first. Right off the bat, he says, hey, in me, you'll have peace. In me, you'll have peace. These things I've spoken to you so that you would have peace in me. I say this in order that you might know the kind of peace that I have, Jesus was saying. This is not a peace based on what happens. It's not a peace based on my understanding of what's happening. This peace is a result of me trusting and believing in the one who controls what happens. It's not about what happens. It's about who's in control. Who has the hand? Who's there? Jesus said, I say this to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have nothing but trouble. Nothing but trouble. Trouble at work, trouble at school, trouble in your home, trouble in your family, trouble with your finances, trouble with your relationships, trouble, trouble. You're going to have nothing but trouble. Why? Because that's the way the world is. That is the way of the world. He says, but be of good cheer. I am in control of the world. In fact, I've overcome the world. Listen to this encouragement, folks. Listen to this encouragement. Note the contrast here. Look at the contrast. In Christ, in the world. Look at the contrast. In Christ, in the world. In Christ, peace. In the world, tribulation. You choose. You choose. But we need to claim our promise that is in Christ. Have you claimed the promise that is in Christ? Have you claimed the promise that is in Christ? The position of being in Christ? Have you claimed that promise? In Christ, I'm a new creation. In Christ, 
I'm set free from the bondage of sin and the penalty of death. In Christ, I have eternal life. In Christ, there is no condemnation. In Christ, there is no separation. In Christ, I am wise. In Christ, I have hope. In Christ, I am triumphant. In Christ, I have liberty. In Christ, I am a son or daughter of God. In Christ, I am sanctified. In Christ, I have every spiritual blessing. In Christ, I have an inheritance. In Christ, I have been chosen by the Father. In Christ, I have been redeemed. And in Christ, I am seated on the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Have you accepted that position? Have you accepted that position? Of being in Christ? Of knowing what you have in Christ? In Christ is our key. In ourselves, we have absolutely nothing. In ourselves, we have absolutely nothing. Remember John 15? Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. Look at the contrast. In me, you have peace. In this world, you have tribulation. But even in the midst of the world, Christ has overcome it. And in him, we are overcomers. In him, we have overcome. You, as a believer, are either overcome by the world or you're an overcomer of the world. One or the other. John carries this a tad further in his first epistle in chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. John carries this a tad further. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He's given us the clue for being overcomers in the world, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. We overcome the world by faith. We overcome the world simply by faith. The world wants to overcome us. The world wants to overcome us. This is why Satan uses the world to persecute us and pressure Christians. The world wants us to conform. The world wants us to conform to it. Buy this. Look like this. Do that. Believe this. The world wants you to believe its system. The world does not want us to be different. It wants us to conform. But Paul told us clearly, do not be conformed to the world. Do not be conformed to the world. What does this do? This warns us that the world system or the popular culture that we have is rebellion. When you think like the world, you are in rebellion against God. When you act like the world, you are in rebellion against God. And the world will try to conform you to its ungodly pattern. That process must be resisted. We must resist that process. But if we yield ourselves to Christ and trust in him in all situations, then he enabled us to be overcomers by the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us, and we are transformed. Ah, so Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind into the position that you have in Christ. This is the opposite of being conformed to the world. Opposite. The battleground between conforming to the world and being transformed within the mind of the believer. That's where it is. Christians, we must think differently. 
We are being bombarded politically with all sorts of garbage that's being thrown around. And you know what? You can sift it and shake it, and I guarantee you're never going to find the truth. The truth is muddled. It's, it's, it's disguised. But the world wants you to believe it. And woe to you if you don't believe like the world. They're going to come against you. How dare you not believe like I believe? You're entitled to your belief as long as you believe what I believe. The world's going to come against you constantly. We must claim our position in Jesus Christ to claim the victory. We must know that in him we have peace. In the world there's going to be tribulation. We must be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. And in him we are overcomers. When we look back on this beautiful discourse that we've been talking about now since April, when we look back on it, we can begin to see that all the explanations of the Lord starts to fit together. He revealed most wonderful principles here that God transforms our sorrow into joy. He says we must believe and we must pray and God has ordained that his work is accomplished through believing prayer. We must claim our position as Christ as conquerors. As Jesus gave this discourse to his disciples, he knew all too well that he was going to be arrested, forsaken, rejected, mocked, humiliated, tortured, and executed before the next day was even over. But yet it was important to him that these men who gave up everything to follow him have this peace. This was so important to Jesus to impart this information to these guys. Not only did Jesus know what would happen to him, but he knew what was going to happen to the disciples. He knew hard times lay ahead. He knew that they would be persecuted without measure. He knew that they needed to know this peace to be content, con content in the position that they had. You can't be content in this world without having the peace of Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul said, I've learned how to be content in all things. Only by Jesus Christ is my contentment because he is my contentment. In him is my content. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The epitome of contentment. The epitome of contentment. Have you claimed your position in Christ? Have you secured your position with faith, hope, trust in the Son of God who gave himself for you? Or are you still struggling with unbelief? Jesus declares that in him you'll find peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But he says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I'm going to leave you this morning with this quote from David Guzik. I held it to the end because I think it's so important that we look at. He says this, quote, Knowing that Jesus has overcome the world brings us good cheer. It is the foundation for our peace in him. We see that Jesus is in control. We see that although he leaves, he does not abandon. We see that he loves, and we see that the victory is his. We can be of good cheer indeed, unquote. Amen? You are assured. The book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start, 
So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the Messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel, Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of Assure Hope.